WKCR FM, New York, WKCR HD1. This is Jazz Alternatives. My name is Mitch Goldman. We call this program Deep Focus. You're about to find out why. We got stuff, man. We got stuff. It's uh, what we do when we deep focus. We have a guest in the studio, and that studio guest directs us towards an artist who has holds a fascination for them and my job is to explore the WKCR archives to find some live unreleased recordings and it's like a high wire act man I don't know how I do it but uh <laughs> somehow it seems to work and uh yeah it's deep focus our guest tonight I'm very happy to welcome to the studio Liberty Elman hey 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 thanks for having me Mitch and who are we putting our laser-like attention towards? Today we are going to look for the scrubbable recordings of John McLaughlin. Yes, we are. Yes, yes we are. Well, we've unearthed a few gems, as you know, some of which I have shared with you, some of which I have not shared with you. Okay. And you might discover along with our radio audience. But um, I'm going to ask you to choose our what the... First track, just to give people, might be some listeners who uh, don't realize how profoundly John McLaughlin has shaken the earth. <laughs> well, one of the recordings you shared with me was the Mahavishnu Live in Berkeley, California, which that's was a particularly ridiculous recording of that band. That's a prize, man. Yeah, so I thought maybe that would be an excellent start. I love that. All right. Uh, right. Uh, you're listening to WKCR. We're going to have some fun. We're here with you till 9 p.m. And uh, music from... Mahavishnu Orchestra that you've never heard from the archives of WKCR.
right, all right. Don't, don't, don't get mad. Don't start reaching for the phone. <laughs> not, not answering. You're listening to WKCR. That was a live recording that you've never heard of the Ma Vishnu Orchestra performing at the Berkeley Community Theater in February of 1972. And that was, uh, the show is called Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman. And uh, bringing that out of the KCR archives was inspired by the choice of our guest tonight. And uh, we wanted to focus on the work of John McLaughlin and our guest, Liberty Elman, here in the studio. Thanks for having me here, Mitch. Oh, man. Uh I would do this if there wasn't a radio show, but we get to do it on the air, so it's even better. And um, very curious, I don't know um, about, uh, well, you were just starting to tell me. So let me ask you to share maybe uh, with our listeners about how this music became part of your life. Um, Well, I mean, obviously I was... A baby when this music came out, you know, so I didn't actually get the chance to see the live version of this at that time. But uh, what I did tell you was that uh, my dad is a drummer and he played in uh, Todd Rundgren's Utopia band at this time, around this time, a couple of years earlier than this, actually. And that, that band was one of the earlier progressive rock groups that uh, influenced a lot of other bands, you know. So for me, um, I heard this kind of music. Uh, basically from the cradle. <laughs> you know, it's like in my DNA. Yeah. Listening to, you know, kind of serious rocking uh, with a lot of high energy and odd times and all kinds of cool and stuff. improvisation. Yeah, so it's just like, oh, doesn't everybody listen to this kind of music? <laughs> right. you know? uh, yeah, that's a... So, uh, actually, I don't know if you uh, obviously are aware of it, but if it seems to you that... Uh, that's wildly different from the experience most of us have <laughs> I know, I know. hearing this music. I know. Well, and, and in terms of John McLaughlin and Ma Vishnu, uh, you know, my entryway to him was for a lot of jazz fans, actually, from Miles Davis's music, um, In a Silent Way, a little bit, and The Bitches Brew, of course. And uh, because when I was a kid and starting to get into playing guitar, I, my mother had a really incredible music collection and these records were in there and so anybody who was playing guitar on any kind of jazz record I wanted to hear it and see what was going on and uh, so it was it was a revelation for me to hear how he fit in there and obviously that yeah, I have to credit Miles' genius too for the way that he put you know led these groups and what he brought out of them uh, the way John fit into that particular project was uh, as such an ensemble player with really interesting rhythm concept you know um so so i became really curious about what he was doing and that led me to all these other recordings and so then i heard intermounting flame and you know what's this you know and then hearing billy cobb the way he played you know with these long fills and (laughs) that energy it was just like oh this sounds like home to me you know (laughs) um yeah and so you know it went it went in so many different directions you know down the rock and roll fusion way and then the more straight ahead jazz stuff everything it was so much fun to discover that stuff as if I, no one had ever heard it before, you know, being a teenager. Yeah, well, yeah. we all have our experience of going through that door and finding what's there. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is there for, as a as a fellow guitar player, mm-hmm. what, John McLaughlin is 
absolutely a singular figure mm-hmm. in in the the soundscape of the world of guitar mm-hmm. and uh why i i know that feeling of listening to it but i'm not a musician maybe mm-hmm. we can talk about that a little bit well i think um people have different entry points for him you know uh because if if you're a fan of the mahavishnu orchestra and that high energy shredding kind of stuff um, it's so like obvious what's going on in your face. Um, the technique is impeccable, and the energy is is pure, and they're having a lot of fun. And so it's it's very accessible for that reason, even though it's you know a lot of notes and <laughs> a lot to kind of get through. Um, if you're not necessarily a fan of that particular style of jazz, but at the same time, because he had recorded so much music when I started looking through his catalog, I equally got into the Shakti music, and I found his tribute to Bill Evans. He did. Um, yeah. which was very soulful and uh uh you know he has another side which which is harmonically uh sensitive and 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 beautiful and his technique on an acoustic instrument is is very uncommon i mean it's so clean and uh and informed from so many different uh traditions that if you're a guitar player and you just want to get deep into it there's a really whole lot to dig and also he he really uh excelled at finding his own voice and his own presentation and creating these groups around him like you said singular but it it, it has to do with the brilliance of 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 being himself 100 percent and uh and being successful and following through on creating these groups that really showcase what he can do and so it doesn't sound like any other player and he's not uh buried in you know a pile of like also ran guys who are you know all these great records but they sound similar you know with john it's not like that you know when he's making a record there's really not another record that sounds like that and then there's also uh you know the things that he brought in that shakti project specifically um the pacing of that music and i think that has a lot to do also with the band members of that group too but um the the way that that music unfolds where they sort of set the different motifs and they let it unfold slowly um, the Remember Shakti album, I Remember Shakti, is, is a great one because John doesn't even really play it for the first 20 minutes on the album. And you just, you know, you kind of uh, you just let it roll. And then when he does come in, it's just this long, beautiful, unfolding, uh, scalar uh, melody that that it's brilliant, you know. So it's easy to like him, you know, for a guitar player. It's really easy. <laughs> Yeah, and now even uh, turning attention back to this recording in Mahavishnu, mm-hmm. as you say, he's—I mean—he kind of became, uh, or follow, attempting to follow in his footsteps became an excuse for a lot of mm-hmm. <laughs> finger exercises, right? Sure, and uh, presenting itself as music. But when you really listen to what he's doing. He's not really doing that. Mm-hmm. And he still has a, to my ear, a glorious sound. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's still a whole lot of other things going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, because he has such tremendous technique, it's easy to single that out and, and, and say, oh, he's just, you know, he's always prone to doing that because he can. And, you know, but. Um, and you might hear pianists say something about Art Tatum like that or something, but but most people would agree that when you when you really pay attention to it and you listen to the content of what he's playing, it's it's really brilliant and and uh, it's not uh, autopilot by any means. I mean, it's very musical, you know. Um, it's 
it's uh but but to follow in his footsteps that's not i mean i certainly never was trying to do that i mean he was one of many people i, I was uh, really into but but he, like so many other examples again like him being able to develop his personality in such a way that he could present his music as an extension of his personality and as, as of his of what he is, his talent gave him you know that i think is the best model for any jazz musician because to me all of the greatest band leaders have done that you know um and we were talking about miles uh and i was saying how john fit into that group because the rhythm concept was so interesting and it became this ensemble type of playing which informed a lot of the post you know bitches brew fusion bands that that were more open um sort of on the electric free jazz or something like that but but just the way that everybody's having this conversation um it's very communal and uh a lot of that has to do with the band leader. That in that case it was Miles, but uh, but you, they they bring it out of their their band, you know. And John can do that, and uh, John Schofield and Abercrombie and you know Wes Montgomery did that too. I mean, in, in his way. So it's it's uh, all the greats did that, and so you know that is what I look for. And if you look for that in John, you'll find it, you know, for, definitely. Liberty Elman mm-hmm. is my guest in the studio. The pro- program is called Deep Focus. We are turning our focus on John McLaughlin. And at the moment, uh, we've got queued up this pretty striking performance from Berkeley Community Center, 1972. And um, it's interesting that you have never not known this music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Well, it's not quite fair to say that because uh, never not known never not known i mean i wasn't quite aware of what what it was i mean we were talking about me growing up listening you know having this music around me i mean that that uh was just a stroke of luck of where I, who i was born to you know sure having musician parents because they brought they brought so much to that and uh, i know that not everybody has that because i have a lot of musician friends whose parents were so different and they had to sort of work against the grain in our family it was just like oh you want to be a musician of course you do yeah you know <laughs> there was no uh, <laughs> rebellious period of I don't have to do what you say I'm going to be a banker <laughs> no not at all not at all I mean uh, you know for better or for worse it was, I had free reign on that you know okay. um, no it was really cool I mean cause, because because they were in New York at the time when there was so much great stuff happening and uh, you know anyone who knows me knows that I love talking about that period for my, for my folks because my mom was also a singer and, and a songwriter um, she wasn't quite as uh, she didn't do so much as my dad did, but uh, but she knew a lot of people on the scene, and uh, and so one of the people that she hung out with a lot and and uh, has some great anecdotes about is Jimi Hendrix. Wow. Yeah, which sort of dovetails into all this because you know there was a little bit of that Miles, Jimmy, John McLaughlin, Tony. Oh yeah. Almost did something kind of history there. But uh, but so but the reason I bring that into it is because you know I, being the teenager who played music and trying to be as cool as my mom was always difficult <laughs> you know which is so unusual because everyone was just like oh I want to talk to your mom about you know uh, so it's it's definitely unusual situation. I can relate to that yeah yeah oh yeah <laughs> now when listening to this music now as familiar as it may be from this type of music do you still hear new things in it are you hearing what kinds of things strike you about this performance which i'm guessing you probably hadn't heard this no. performance before. no i had never heard it um well 
clearly they were in a groove. I mean, they, they were feeling it. You, you, as a performer, you know, it's, you know, when you play a lot of shows and you're on the road, not all shows are equal. Uh, I mean, hopefully you get to a point where, uh, you know, you're not your best day is still a really good day so that you're giving the audience your best. But, you know, sometimes you can be tired or who knows what. And so you might listen back to something and say, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't my best, you know, or that wasn't when we, we were somewhere totally there. What it and sounds then, like on stage, what yeah, you get back from the audience. And. Yeah, well, what, you know, it's, it's intangible. It's, it's, it's hard to say, you know. Um, but in this case, uh, I would say that to my ear, they showed up and they were in a great mood. Maybe it was Berkeley in 1972. I don't know. But, like, they were on fire. It was just, like, the, you know, totally locked, uh, very inspiring, you know, performance. I can tell you a little bit about that. Uh-huh. Very, very dedicated listeners of Deep Focus might remember that I actually had played this very show once before. Mm. And that was when Billy Cobham was on this show, who was playing drums on this. We haven't announced well, who the tell musicians you a lot more were. about this than I could, that's for sure. <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're, we're discovering together. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy Cobham's the drummer, and this classic lineup of Mahavishnu Orchestra, along with uh, John McLaughlin's guitar is uh, Jerry Goodman on violin and uh, Jan Hammer playing keyboards. Rick Laird is the bassist. And did I leave anybody out? John McLaughlin on guitar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're, they're all monsters. I mean, mm-hmm. there's... Uh, and which is one of the cool things about it. It's not... It's not really just about that. You know, no. it's they're taking that and seeing where they can go mm-hmm. but uh yeah no billy cobham did talk very specifically about this date at and it wasn't just berkeley it was berkeley community center mm-hmm. which was uh, definitely on the radar for traveling musicians at that mm-hmm. time yeah. as of course was berkeley berkeley was hippie central it was also where all the civil rights stuff had uh originated and that had great all those things had great interest for them and um, also, if you are a fan of Jimi Hendrix in particular, you probably know Jimmy Plays Berkeley was also at that same venue. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a, like an auditorium. Um, it's not like a big concert hall. It's like, um, it's, it's, do you know the venue? Well, I think I've been there because I saw VSOP uh-huh. play there. Yeah. Actually, with, uh, I guess it was, either it was Wallace. I think it might have been Freddie Hubbard, actually. In wow. That version with Tony and uh, Herbie and Wayne. VSOP and was a super yeah. group that. It was basically the quintet with, with Freddie instead of. Uh, Freddie Sam Hubbard, Hines. yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Freddie. Um, and uh, it may have been Wallace. Oh, my brain. But in any case, Roy Hargrove was just on the scene, and he opened up. He played an opening set, and he sounded great. But it, but it was like, you know, you enjoy his set, and then these guys come on, and you're just like, oh, whoa. <laughs> you know? And I had never seen, you know, I was a teenager. I had never seen that band before. It was, uh, it was ridiculous. But, that, but I believe that was in the same venue, kind of near Berkeley High, if it's the same place. And it's a really great place to see a show. Yeah. And it's not huge like the Greek, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, sounds good. Well, they were... Cool space. Billy Cobham talked about it. I mean, like, 
his eyes lit up like nothing else he talked about mm. the three hours that I spent with him doing that show. He was like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we were definitely ready rolling into that place. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> 1972 being 20-whatever age he was, yeah, absolutely. That mm-hmm. was, you know, you look at a you get a tour schedule. You're like, where are we going? <laughs> oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to be in New Orleans. Oh, we're going to be in Amsterdam. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. It was one of those moments. He... Uh, I didn't even have to prompt him to talk right. about that. So, <laughs> well, yeah, that's good. That's nice he remembered. <laughs> he absolutely you know. did. I don't know if he remembered all of them. Was, he remembered that one. Right. Yeah. Well, I know that because you you gave me a sneak peek at that recording um, towards the end. I don't know if we're going to get to it, but towards the end of that set, uh, there's some duo playing between John and Billy that's just phenomenal, you know. They're well, let's riffing. hear some more. Let's, okay, uh, go for it. So, yeah, um, you've been hearing us talk about it. Liberty Elman, once again, my guest. Fantastic guitar player, band leader, composer, producer. Uh, I want to ask you Mr. about... Mr. Hyphen. You know. <laughs> That's right. Slash, 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 slash. Right. Are you really slash? No, we'll talk huh. about that later. Your secret identity. Um, but I want, to, uh, I want to hear about the other stuff you're working on as well. We'll, we'll, we'll get around to that. Okay. And, um, yeah, and we've got this incredible recording from the WKCR archives. I believe the recording was actually made by a local station in... Berkeley, 1972, and it made its way to us. or something. I think it was, matter of fact. And um, so uh, just darn lucky we have it to share with you. So we're going back to Berkeley. Let's do it. Yes, on WKCR.
Let them hear it, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, Ma Vishnu Orchestra, they can't hear you. Wow. Wow. That, that is a, that's a serious, that, that's a serious response right there. That's no joke. Wow. Okay, so you're listening to WKCR-FM, New York, WKCR-HD1. I'm Mitch Goldman. The show is called Deep Focus. What we do, we have a special guest musician comes into the studio, and uh, they throw out the name of an artist of special interest to them, and we go through the vast, you know, WKCR has been around since 1941, mm-hmm. the First, we call ourselves the original FM. It's the first FM station in the country, WKCR, wow. 89.9 FM. And uh, we have, I'm going to take you through the archives. I'm going to show you. Distinction. Yeah. It's, it's uh, pretty phenomenal what we have in there, including stuff like this. So my guest tonight, Liberty Elman, here in the studios at WKCR, uh, fantastic guitar player, musical thinker, producer, band leader, and... Um, I asked Liberty, who are we going to, where are we diving in? Mm -hmm. And you said John McLaughlin, and we found this incredible recording you're listening to, February of 1972. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, John McLaughlin on guitar with Ma Vishnu Orchestra, classic organization of that band with, uh, that's Jerry Goodman playing the violin, who's also, I think at the time, the perception... um, I mean, the, these guys were all seen as monsters on their respective instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, Jerry Goodman, uh, great showcase for him right there. Uh, it's uh, Jan Hammer, keyboard player, who, as we were saying off mic, later came to fame, among other things, doing the music. Nobody, he is forever, it's been like 30 years, and still he is <laughs> lashed to that pole to uh, Miami Vice. That, Miami that, Vice, that was good. It was, was good. He did oh, great so stylish. But he's, he's done a lot of great movies, you know. Yeah, movie style, scores yeah. and uh, other all kinds of other music projects mm-hmm. on his own, but that's a, still the first thing that people think of. Hey, look, they had <laughs> Willie Nelson. On, didn't Miles make a cameo in that show? Miles definitely so, made a cameo know, it's on a that good show. show. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that, automatically. That is yeah. pretty much the standard line. There you go, you ones. Willie Nelson and Miles. I think in the same episode. No. May have been. <laughs> no. Charlie no. Barnett. Right. <laughs> was in that show. Wow. Uh, Glenn Fry. I didn't even watch the show, but mm-hmm. I do remember that. Um, and uh, Rick Laird on the bass, who people, uh, probably one of the less talked about members of the group, mm-hmm. he became a photographer. Hmm. Left music, yeah, and uh, became a photographer, portraits and stuff like that. I used to see him around New York all the time and uh, haven't in a bunch of years. I lost track of him, I realize now. It's funny. Every once in a while you get a musician who feels like they've done something so incredibly rewarding and special that they want to leave it at that. It's like a sports person, you know, an athlete retiring before they have peaked. Go out on top. Sometimes it happens, you know. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't, not often. Not often. I mean, musicians usually are addicted to it, but um, but every so often you hear a story like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, Rick Laird walked mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the phenomenal uh, Billy Cobham playing drums. And uh, all these guys, there's this, uh, 
what do you think about this? I will I'll make a statement for you to agree or disagree with. But one of the one of the hallmarks of a great band is having a group sound. Mm-hmm. Of course, absolutely. How do you do that? Tell us the three secrets uh, well, of that. <laughs> I oh, I wish I knew. Uh, I think more important than anything is the intention to do that. You know, to to uh, let whatever your inspiration is guide you, uh, and then to uh, at some point you you internalize all of your influences to 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 a place where where they start to blend and and uh, you get carried away with your own sort of balance between that and your inner voice and and uh, it's not an easy feat though I think that there are so many great musicians who who struggle with that myself included you know I, I, because all of my uh, all of my heroes have had that quality that's singular for me in terms of what when you go through my record collection uh, my favorite ones that I must still keep on CD in case my computer blows up are people like that. And when we go back to the jazz canon, it's the same thing. You know, Coltrane and Miles and Thelonious Monk. And, you know, they're composers, but they're also ex- exemplary band leaders and, uh, and conceptualists. When I think about head. bands today yeah. and groups that have a group sound, mm-hmm. uh, one that floats right to the top is Henry Threadgill's ensembles <laughs> that you were part of. Yeah. Yeah, Zuid. Absolutely. Henry is a master at that. I mean, he really is. You know, it's incredible to uh, be part of something like that. Every, every group he's been part of. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, air, mm-hmm. bass, drums, saxophones, almost a generic kind Don't of ensemble at the time. Yeah. And the hubcaphone. <laughs> but yeah. um, they, the moment you heard them play, it was utterly distinct who it was. And every group he's had since then, mm-hmm. that's been true of. I mean, completely. Yeah. Well, in his case, I think, you know, in, in, in someone like that not only has the talent and the follow-through and the ability to keep moving and be prolific, but there are those few genius types where you can really say it's just, you know, his ability to com- continue to do that comes from deep inside. It's, it's not something that you can choose to do, you know. Um, it's very inspiring and you can try to live up to that and being close to him certainly helps me and when I wake up in the morning and I think about what I think about music uh, it's really great to have him as a a mentor that way Um, but you can't be that unless you are that you know (laughs) and so he's got that you know it's it's just really special Uh, dear listener uh, if you are within the sound of my voice you are fortunate enough to share the planet with a band leader like Henry Threadgill. And I invite you to make the most of the opportunity to uh, experience that music. And you will also be hearing the work of our guest tonight, Liberty Elman. And um, very, very, absolutely singular experience. And you guys are coming around again. Uh, Zuid? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're playing the Vanguard. That's the end of September. But, uh, but yeah, we'll be there. It's become uh, an annual thing for us, at least. I hope it continues to be that. It'll be our third year in a row. I don't want to push but, it too hard because I won't be able to get <laughs> my foot in the door. Yeah, right. So, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. telling but you. It's, 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 the, it's a great place to see that band, though, because yeah. uh, the sound in there is, is, you know, anyone who knows the Vanguard knows that music sounds really good in there. The dryness of it lets you hear uh, hear everything with precision. And Henry's music really benefits from that because there's, there can be a lot going on. Uh, so it's a great place. And it just feels, you know, it's, it's, it's an honor to play to play that storied venue, you know. 
Now, in hearing you, mm. Liberty Elman, talking about Henry Threadgill's music mm. and the proper way to hear it, has a special significance because it is you who he chose to produce his recordings. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's partly about trust and partly about luck because I happen to know a thing or two about that, you know. Um, but, you know, the role of a producer uh, is different from artist to artist. And, and for, with me and Henry, it's more about making sure everything goes well. You know, I'm not, other than what we do in rehearsals, you know, my opinion about what's happening in the music, it's really about what Henry's got going on. And uh, my job is just to make sure we're comfortable and the mics are in the right place and we don't miss anything and that the takes are happening and we're, the pace is right. That's know, not that nothing, man. No, it's not nothing. It's not nothing. <laughs> but that's, that's, you know, that's where my job comes in. And, well, I do mix the records, too. But, but uh, yeah, it's great to be that deep into it because, uh, like, like we've already said, the music is so unusually good and, and unique um, that what I learned from it can't really be measured, you know. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. every level. It's really great. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you for uh, sharing it with us and mm. bringing it to light. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's a prize, man. It really is. No, no. And you've gotten uh, you and Henry both have gotten some very nice, well deserved recognition for that. Mm. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, for Henry to win the Pulitzer on that last record uh, was quite special. Yeah, something that's been deserved and it was good, to, just the right time for him. You know, yeah, he's had he's had a lot of good stuff uh come his way the last couple of years <clears throat> very deserved and it's just, yeah it's really an honor to be part of that you know you get that call from uh you know the relatives hey wow you really <laughs> are a musician aren't you You're, you know <laughs> pulitzer prize you know? that's right yeah yes so yeah uh don't miss out don't miss out listeners this mm. is uh this is something really special and uh sometimes you look at those things and they it seems like they just Give those prizes out like something that came out of a Cracker Jack's box. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I mean, you know, sometimes yeah. it's like, yes, they got it right. They absolutely got it right. Pulitzers probably have a little, a little higher hit rate than some. Mm. Okay, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> this is not yeah. to be dismissed. This no. is uh, very significant and and very well deserved. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, um, turning that back to this recording we've been listening to, mm -hmm. and it's funny hearing. Uh, not funny, I don't mean funny, like I'm belittling these people, but we're getting phone calls from uh, some very excited listeners, and um, it's quite striking that this recording is 40-some years old mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, shoot. Uh, at the time this recording was made, a recording that was that old would be Louis Armstrong still in Chicago. Right. You know, I mean, like 20s, 30s, maybe. Mm -hmm. It would be, mm -hmm. you know, the the little three-minute Ellington sides or something like that. Uh, so this is um, something emerging from history to us. And I uh, wonder if you could talk about that, um, what you're hearing here, and maybe in particular that idea of group sound and how they achieve that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's purely just as a fan, my opinion. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, 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 because yeah. I don't have any insider knowledge on No, I want to um, hear your but, you know, experience they, as a they, listener. Uh, just hearing it, I mean, the first thing that strikes me about it is, you know, that P 
period of music, and if you're a fan of rock and roll, which I am, which I am, uh, that certain kind of heavy rock that was happening in the early '70s before it was really commercial, that kind of sound. I mean, it was starting already to be that, but but the just like we we think about the the great uh, pillars of jazz, the great makers of rock and roll as we know it. Well, you mentioned we, Jimi Hendrix. We, yeah, Jimmy. And, that, and there's a, a whole huge conversation mm-hmm. to be had, being had, mm-hmm. about the intersection, Jimi Hendrix and the jazz world and all that. But there's other artists, too. Yeah. Maybe, who are some of the people that come to mind for you? Well, obviously, when you're talking about heavy rock, you can't leave out Led Zeppelin, you know. From that yeah. period, I mean, they were became one of the more prolific touring touring groups of that kind of sound. Um, not mean, they weren't playing like quote unquote progressive uh, fusion, whatever. But but uh, in terms of just where the rock sound is coming from, you know, they're a big part of developing that. Is Jimmy Page interesting to you? Oh, I love Jimmy Page, absolutely. Uh, his his ability to layer sounds and create all these incredible tunings, and you know, he he was a really really master uh, artist. Uh, craftsman, artist, guitarist, studio, you know, they, they really broke ground with, uh, especially with guitar, the way guitar was treated. Oh, oh, the um, way they recorded you know. drums too. Yeah. Well, the, well, the engineers get a lot of credit too, but, but, but just yeah, in no, terms of yeah. just that artist uh, mentality, I mean, they, they were doing stuff that just you hadn't heard that much of, you know, right? if anything. And you know. Paige, I think he's no. got, I've never heard him talk about it. I think he's got huge ears. I think he's mm-hmm. hearing all kinds of stuff and he's obviously listened to a enormous range of music mm-hmm. yeah yeah clearly you know uh, a lot of folk and blues tradition in there great picking going on but uh but really unusual collections of sounds but but in terms of the way these the Mahavishnu guys were playing you know I think what's important about it is that that sound was new you know the early that that sound of heavy rock fusion was new in the early 70s and late 60s and so they were the people creating it. And so there's a certain energy that an artist is going to have when they're in on the birth of a movement. And uh, and they were just great musicians anyway. So uh, the level of precision and intent and uh, the realization of the music was on such a high, high level. But, but you could tell they were having so much fun with it. It wasn't an exercise. It really was fun, you know, and I'm, I can't imagine what it was like to be there in, in, the, in the audience for that particular show. I mean, just exciting, you know. And, yeah, they're shredding, but they're not just shredding. No, <laughs> no, they're not just shredding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I think any, you know, with many kinds of, of, of music, something is new. And there, there were the bands like Weather Report and other bands at that time who were, who were all in on the birth of this stuff and making vital important musical that is part one of this deep focus from july of 2016 july 18th was a monday night liberty elman in the studio with me for a deep focus on john mclaughlin and you already know all of that because you just listened to part one well there's two more parts to this one and we had so much music left at the end of this that we decided to do another one a couple of weeks later so the next episode I'm going to air is going to be that part two. But each of those two parts is in three parts, so it's going to be six parts altogether. You can do the math. Okay. So, uh, yeah, well, all those gigs we talked about, 
Obviously, they happened back in 2016. Don't go looking for them. But uh, I just uh, traded a couple of emails with Liberty. He is saying the same thing all the other musicians I'm talking to are saying, which is they are chomping at the bit to get back out into the venues and play some live music for you guys with you because you're part of the show when you're in the audience for this music. And everybody I'm hearing saying the same thing. Mitch, tell them to make sure they're vaccinated. If they're going to come in the venue, just talk to a venue owner. Said he's not going to let anybody in the house unless they're vaccinated. Can't say I blame him. So, um, you know, I'm not telling you what you ought to do. I'm not telling you what you ought to think. But I'm telling you, if you want to go hear some live music, get yourself vaxxed. And uh, you'll be doing a great favor to everybody in the music community. So, okay. You've got parts two and three of this part A, should we say, of this uh, Liberty Elman on the topic of John McLaughlin and Mahavishnu Orchestra. Actually, in the second part, we get to some, we have some McLaughlin separate from uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra. So, oh, this is, uh, you know. Okay. All right. See you over there.